I intended to sing Dwelling in Beulah Land right before the message, but I, I was looking at Abide with Me and that one, and I just, I don't know. I, I, when I was a kid, I always wanted all those up-tempo, you know, let's go songs. Man, you need to start reading some of the words of those, the you know, the old hymns. Man, I don't know why anybody would even want to sing that worship music garbage, amen? So we're going to begin in Joshua this morning, but turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, and it's my intention to bring us this morning to verse 1. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and truly, Joshua is a book of redemption. And we're going to see that. Genesis, of course, is the book of beginnings. There's three beginnings in Genesis. I mean, beginning of all things. Three things that begin in Genesis. You should look and see what they are. And of course, Exodus is the book of deliverance. Amen. Praise God. I've been through Exodus spiritually. Amen. I'm out of Egypt. Praise the Lord. And I don't want to be that wilderness wanderer. Amen. That's out in the wilderness saying, oh, for the leeks and garlics and onions. Now, I like leeks and garlics and onions. Amen. But not Egypt's kind. Amen. We get through the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is a bridge. That God builds between the historical books, which we're about to enter into in the book of Joshua, and, and the Pentateuch, the first five books, the books of Moses, the law, if you would. And there's a lot of pictures here, and next week I'm going to take some time to draw the uh, distinction between Moses, who we find out in Joshua 1 verse 1 is dead, and who Joshua is. See, Moses represents the law. And, of course, the first five books of the Bible, the, the law, the law books, the books of Moses. And now we enter into the promised land. Amen. And praise God, as born-again believers, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. And we're pursuing Christ into the promised land. Amen. And the promised land in the Bible is not heaven. There's a picture there of heaven. But there's no enemies to fight in heaven. And there's enemies to fight in the book of Joshua. Amen? And so we're going to fight them together as we journey through spiritually through the book of Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 6, though, to get us started. In verse number 23, there's a really good verse here to begin, us, uh, begin this with. The Bible says, And he brought us out from thence. Where's thence? He brought us out of Egypt. Amen? That he might bring us in. Amen. Amen. That he might bring us in. Into where? The promised land. Amen. To give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. Now, Joshua is a book of redemption. See, redemption's two parts. Redemption's not only being brought out of something, but it's also being brought into something. Yeah. Amen. We were brought out of the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light. Amen? Amen? Praise God for that. When you got saved, you got pulled out of the darkness and brought into the light. Amen? Amen. And, uh, you know, that's what the children of Israel are about to experience, the full, complete redemption of God. Now, for us, that happens instantaneously. Amen? We're taken from the devil's kingdom and put into God's kingdom. Amen? 
But this promised land, I want to reach the promised land of my Christian life. Amen? Amen. And so I want to get us out of Egypt and into the promised land by God's grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for these Old Testament books that bring to light New Testament truths. Lord, as examples for us to live by. God, I pray we might be challenged as we study through this book on Sundays, God, going forward. Lord, my desire as a pastor, God, is that your people would live a victorious Christian life. God, that we'd be able to overcome the flesh and live by the Spirit. And God, that we'd be able to, even now, in this present evil world, Scripture calls it, that we'd be able to live truly in the promised land, God, where the milk and honey flows, Lord, where the grapes of Eshcol grow, God, where there's, there's so much, Lord, a blessing in that promised land. And I pray spiritually we might reach it, God, and challenge our hearts through the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, you're going to have to tolerate some introductory things here this morning so we can get to where we're going, amen? But you know very well that you can't get on a journey anywhere without some preparation. Amen? You're not going on a trip like Brother Matt and Miss Holly just left on without at least packing some duds. Amen? you got to pack and you got to plan and where are we going to stay and how far are we going to get and what's it going to cost us. And we kind of got to do some of that this morning. If you want to get where you're going, you got to prepare. Amen? And that's the purpose for why we leave those back doors open before the Sunday school hour is in hopes that people will prepare, <coughs> excuse me, prepare their hearts for the journey we're going to take. Now, i got the same thing going on that you all do. <coughs> I just have to preach with it, so bear with me, amen? might seem like I swallow a frog from now and again, but <coughs> we'll get over it, amen? So Joshua, as I mentioned, is the first book of history. And there's a common saying that each one of us probably heard before, and that is that what we learn from history is that what? Nobody learns from history. God help God's people if we're that dumb. God gave us, you realize this entire book has a historical application. <coughs> this whole Old Testament, Paul says, was given to us for our ensample. Amen. Now, i got to admit to you, I like ensamples more than I like examples. And they're not quite the same thing. Like when you go to Costco, you know what you get? You get a sample. An example is a picture, but you can't touch it. It's a picture, but you can't taste it. It's a picture, but you don't get to consume it. Ensamples, you get to taste. You get to touch. Amen? I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? And why do you suppose they give you those samples at Costco? Do you ever? Not me. I just go for lunch. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do. I have to admit that I've had a sample or two that I've, I've actually bought the product. But most of the time, I mean, it's some fringe new thing. They're trying to get everybody. But they want you to buy in. And you know why God gives us end samples and not just examples in his word. He wants us to buy in. That's right. He doesn't want you to be the numbskull that somebody says, well, what we learn from history is that nobody learns from history. We need to be different than that. Amen. 
We need to be better than that. He wants you to taste this this morning. He wants you to touch this. He wants you to experience this. Amen? It's an example for us of how we ought to live and how we ought to go about our Christian life. Joshua, we know, is the sixth book of the Bible. It comes after the books of Moses. I've already said that. They say that the, the, the length of period of time that exists within the book of Joshua is about 30 years. Now, it seems like a lifetime. You get reading Joshua, it's like, man, a lot happened. But I'm here to tell you something, folks. If you'll live for God, if you'll, if you'll determine that you're going to put aside your own desires and you will pursue God and live for God, he will fill up your life with things to do. Amen. I told Dad, I said, well, on January 30th, we're getting ready to go to the Philippines. He said, you just got back. I said, I got things to do. <laughs> Amen. Amen. What are you doing for God? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot we do for ourselves, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. But what are, you, what are you doing right now for the Lord? Amen. When you get busy about pursuing God and desiring to live that blessed life, live that land of promise, abundant life, amen, God will fill your life with things to do for the Lord. Amen. I get worried about people that don't have anything to do for God. Yeah. I get worried about them. Amen. You ought to have something to do for the Lord. The Lord may not take you to the Philippines or Vietnam or Germany or these other places, but He might. Whatever happened to, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to do it, I'll go. Right. Whatever happened to that, Brother Luke? Now we want to tell God how to call us, yeah. where to call us, when to call us. Amen? And by the way, you don't have to be in the full-time ministry like I am to be called, to be pointed, to be pushed, to go. Right. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Joshua was probably the author of this book, the majority of it, and probably what parts he wasn't, probably Samuel filled in the blanks, amen? But let me give you a little background on this man Joshua. When you've got a book of the Bible named after you, that's something. Do you know you all have a book of life named after you? That's right. There's a book of your life. It's got your name on it. Amen? Would you read your own book? Could your book be a manual on how to show people how to live the abundant life? How to get into the promised land? Amen. Moses showed them how to get out of Egypt. Amen. His books. But now this book of Joshua, it's going to show the people how to go in Amen. to the land of promise. Amen. What does your book of life tell people to get into? Yeah. That's a question, isn't it? Amen. Joshua himself, this man with this who 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 is the author and whose <coughs> amen whose name is in scripture here, a book with his name on it. Joshua was from the tribe. Does anybody know? The tribe of No. Michael. You know what? If we guess them all, we're gonna get to it at one point or another. Hunter, give us one. No. Nope. Starts with an E. Ephraim. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. Numbers chapter 13, verse number 8. And sometimes it messes people up because you know the name Joshua actually appears in Scripture three different ways. 
In Numbers 13, verse 8, it says of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun. It's spelled Oshea, O-S-H-E-A, the son of Nun. But hey, there wasn't many guys that had the father with the name Nun. I wonder if that's where the Catholic Church came up with calling I mean, I don't know. But, but I will tell you that Joshua, Oshea, is actually Jesus. It's the same name. It's the same name. And so, I don't know. Anyways, weirdos. But, amen, the son of none. The son of none. He's the only man. Here you go. This is for Bob. Right for Bob. Who is the only man in the Bible who had no parents. Joshua, he was the son of none. See? There it is, Bob. Write it down, Bob. <laughs> but you can't tell anybody else here because I just told you. Amen? He was the son of none, amen? And this is the first mention of Joshua in Scripture. Look at Exodus 32. Exodus 32, the first mention of Joshua in Scripture is going to give you... Now, if you know anything about studying the Bible, you know that the law of first mention is going to indicate what kind of person this is going to be. Usually the first mention of something in the Bible is going to give a trend for it throughout Scripture, and it certainly does for Joshua. Joshua and Moses are coming down off the mountain, and the people are all rioting and dancing and having a wild time around that golden calf. And Joshua says this in his first mention of his name in the Bible, Exodus thirty-two seventeen. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of what? War. There is a noise of war in the camp. And that first mention of Joshua is going to set the scene for who Joshua is throughout Scripture. He is a warrior. That's right. He has senses that are heightened to the sounds of of war, And obviously Joshua grew up in captivity in Egypt. He experienced God's deliverance of the people from there. But when he shows up in the Bible, he's a military man. He has a combat mind. Amen. Does that not tell you that this book is going to be good for us? Because the Bible tells us we're fighting a war. That's right. We're in a warfare. And, and, and we're not using knives and swords and guns and bombs. Amen. We have the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and prayer, Ephesians chapter 6. That's what we have. But just like Joshua is going to go into that promised land fighting some battles, we're going to go into this Christian life and we're going to have to fight some battles. Amen. You know, Joshua had the mindset not only of a warrior, but he had the mindset of an overcomer. He was not a defeatist. You know... Defeatist and pessimist. How many would identify as a defeatist or a pessimist? Okay, let's try. Let's separate those. <clears throat> I am naturally a pessimist. Two honest people. Pessimists frustrate me. And I'm going to tell you why. We are more than what. More than. Do you realize we're not just conquerors? We are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. I can do what? Through Christ. Which So you're more than a conqueror and you can do anything through Christ. And you're going to be a pessimist. 
<laughs> I'm not trying to pick on people here this morning, but I want to turn you into an optimist. Amen. Aren't you looking for a blessed hope? Aren't you looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, and that means he knows everything that's going to go on in between? Isn't that our God? Then we should not live pessimistically. Sure, there's times you may look at something with a... Uh, a lot of times when people say they're a pessimist, it's not that they have no optimism. It's that they're, you know, they're, they're a critical thinker, and I can understand that. But as Christians, when we look at our Christian life, we should not look at it pessimistically. God has given us an overcoming mind. And Joshua was an overcomer. Right. You say, how do you know? Well, he was one of the 12 spies they sent into the land. Yeah. And you know, of those 12, how many said they couldn't take it? Fantastic. And how many said they could? Two. Do we need to sing the song? Two, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. Look at Numbers chapter 14. He had an overcoming mind. <clears throat> when those tech spies said, oh, we can't do it, we can't do it. You know what Joshua and Caleb did? They tore their clothes. They said, you bunch of pessimists. God gave us this land. And you know something, Christian friend? When you get this mindset that I just can't get over this habit. I just can't stop doing that. I just can't do that. I just can't do that. Stop it. Stop it. You can. God said you can. If you say you can't, you make God a liar. And I'm not saying that lightly. I mean it. I just can't quit doing that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Well, I just, this, this has been such a hard thing. I can't overcome. Yes, you can. You don't want to. And I want you to want to by God's grace. They told Joshua and Caleb, oh, no, we can't do it. And verse 6 of Numbers 14, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. I can identify with that. As a pastor, you counsel with people, I just can't, I, you know, I can't, I can't raise my children the way God tells me to. I can't have that in my marriage. I can't do this. I can't do that. <laughs> Sometimes I wish Old Testament customs were still, I could testify with that. Just, I could do that. I'm wearing a t-shirt underneath. But I could, man, I can identify with that. <clears throat> Nowadays, you're not allowed to smash anything or pound anything. You just got to stand there and take it, you know. Boy, these guys, they were so upset, they tore their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land. And by the way, that's a word you should take notice of through the book of Joshua. The land. It shows up a lot of times. Because this book is about a land. Amen. This book is about a possession. Amen. By the way, possession, I believe, possessor, possession shows up 60-something times in the book of Joshua. That's right. Wow is right. The land. <coughs> I think God wants them to possess the land. Amen. They said the land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. Oh, I'm never going to have that wonder. I've heard this. You have such a wonderful family. 
I wish I could have such a wonderful family. You care! You may not have the same amount of kids I got. Your wife's probably not as beautiful as mine. But you can have a good family. You can. I wish my boys would, you know, uh, be raised up like the boys in the, this church. They can. If you want them to, by God's grace. Amen. They can. Said it's an exceeding good land, they said. And it is. It's a good land, friend. Amen. It's an exceeding good land. <coughs> and they said here, uh, if the Lord delight in us. I guess that's the key, isn't it? And the Lord did delight in them, by the way. Then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. He said he will. He will. Amen. He had the mind of an overcomer. Amen. Amen. You know what you need to do? You need to change your mind from, well, I can't do that, or I can't change this, or I can't do that. And you need to say, I can do all things through Christ. Amen. And if you stay with Christ and you stay with God, amen, you can. Yeah. Amen. You can. Yeah. Amen. We ought to have a desire in our life to do that. I mentioned already some key words in Joshua, possess and possession, used 22 times, inherit and inheritance, 63 times. I think I got that backwards. But you know, when we're talking about the Christian life for the believer, we're talking about an inheritance that's incorruptible, yeah. yes, laid up for us in heaven forever. We're talking about an inheritance that we have the opportunity to earn, amen, yes, and we ought to have a desire to do that. Amen. <laughs> the illustration of the book of Joshua is people coming out of a carnal life, wandering around murmuring and complaining in the wilderness, into a victorious life as they defeat the enemies, amen, that they have in the, in the, in the, uh, the opposition that they have in their life. When we come to the book of Joshua, we find a clear command in the book of Joshua. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 20. De uh, Joshua is the accomplishment of this command. Deuteronomy chapter 20. You know, I was looking back at when I preached the first message about Joshua being a, a noble hero. It was on September 24th. That's how long it's been since we, it's, till we got back here to the book of Joshua here. But Joshua, there's a command in Deuteronomy 20. And man, I've got to get to the message. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 16 says... But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hevites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their abomination, abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. Folks, there is so much to preach on spiritually here in this passage. Now, let me just precursor this by saying God is not commanding you to go take a sword and start wiping out people. You hear that, Muslims? You hear that, Islam? 
He's not calling on you to strap a bomb on your chest. But there is something for us to learn here. He told the children of Israel to go into that land and allow nothing left to breathe. And then he begins to name nations of people. And he tells them to do that <coughs> to ensure that they do not teach the children of Israel to do their abominations and cause them to sin against God. Can you make a spiritual application without having to preach it? You say what? Don't let it breathe. You know, if you want to put a fire out in your life, what you have to do? You have to smother it. If it can breathe, it won't go out. You have to. Have any of you ever had the unfortunate experience of smothering? Not being able to breathe? We could do a real live illustration this morning. Just have you hold your breath as long as you possibly can. Have you ever done that? Like to the point of passing out? I don't recommend, I'm not recommending doing it. But you need air. You need air. When you can't breathe, man, you, you're going to think your life is over. <laughs> and if you don't, it will be. <laughs> Amen. But I'm telling you something. You want to get rid of the sin in your life? You can't let it breathe. That's right. <laughs> you know, I watch people try and get rid of their addictions by limiting their addiction. Doesn't work, does it? doesn't work. You have to not let it breathe. Amen. That's why he told them, go into that land and anything that breathes, kill it. Yeah. Why? Because I don't want them to teach you their abominable ways. Yeah, that's right. That was the command that God gave to Joshua. And you know, in our very liberal mindset of today, we think, what an awful God. There were women and children. There were innocent people <coughs> caught up in the conflict. Can I say, first of all, nobody's innocent. That's right. Yes, sir. For all have sinned. That's right. And come short of the glory of God. And you know, this may help you make sense of modern day warfare too. But let me just say this. People have the idea that God is only love. But God is also holy. And God is also just. And God always gives people space to repent. But his justice demands that sin be paid for. You know, we go back think about the flood. Noah's flood. Genesis chapter 6. Do you know how many years God gave people to repent? Longer than anyone in this room is going to live. In Genesis chapter uh, number 6 and verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. You know God gave them 120 years to repent. And they didn't. You say, well, how could God send people to hell? 
<laughs> God gives you a lifetime to repent. That's right. And they don't. Amen. God always gives time for repentance. Let's look specifically at this land of promise. If you would look at um, look at Genesis chapter 15. And this should go well because you're already remembering Brother Wood's message on the cup. Remember Brother Wood's message on the cup? How the cup fills up with iniquity and then the Lord Jesus drank our cup at Calvary? Amen. Well, that's going to serve you well when you consider Genesis 15 and verse 13. God had Israel in Egypt for 400 years. And in those 400 years, he was giving them opportunity to repent. Those nations in Canaan. But look what the Bible says, Genesis 15, 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great abundance, uh, substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is what? <coughs> you know why God kept Israel in Egypt for 400 years? Until the Amalekites' cup filled. He was still given, there was space for grace. There was room in the cup for repentance. He said their cup is not full. But as they continued to indulge themselves, they continued to, to, to just commit a, a terrible abominations in the land. That cup filled. And God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and took them through the wilderness of purging and brought them to the borders of the promised land. And now his judgment was going to come for their full cup. Look at uh, Leviticus chapter 18. Folks, these people that were living in this land were wicked. That's right. They were wicked. Leviticus 18 is God's commands to the children of Israel of what not to do that the people in Canaan land were doing. The Hevites and Perizzites and Amalekites and all them. Look in Leviticus 18 verse 3. Or verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. <coughs> and after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Now you, you go down through these verses, and you're going to start finding the things they were doing in the land. It starts right out here in verse number 6 with incest. You go all the way. You know why God implemented all these laws and commands that you find here? Because these were the things that were going on in the land. And that's why he said, hey, don't let them breathe. Kill them all. Because I don't want you doing the abominable things that they're doing. You go down through this list of things, you're going to find child sacrifice. By the way, that's what they're doing in the public schools today. Yeah. They're sacrificing children on their gender ideologies. Yeah. They're not giving them an education. That's right. They're poisoning them. Yeah. It's child sacrifice. Amen. There, the Bible goes into, talks about bestiality. 
And by the way, you think that doesn't happen. It happens. All kinds of perversion and pretty much everything else that they teach in public schools today. God tells us that the land of Canaan was defiled. Leviticus 18, look at verse 25. And the land is defiled. you got to remember, you ought to do a little study for yourself sometime. You know, we sing that song, This is My Father's World. You ought to, you ought to do a little study on what the, the land and the trees and the waves have to say about God. All creation groaneth for its redemption. Why? The land is defiled. They were not only defiled, <coughs> they defiled the land. You know what's happened here in North America? The land has been defiled. How many aborted babies lay in the land of this country? How many, how many sodomites live on the land of this country? How much fornication and adultery and debauchery and wickedness. The land is defiled. Therefore, because of that, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. He says, listen, if I didn't send you in here to take this land, the land itself would puke them out. That's how bad. You know, you wonder about all these natural disasters and all this kind of stuff. The land vomiteth it out. You, you know, you really ought to take examination as to where a lot of these things happen. Now, I'm not being ultra spooky with this, but you know most storms, like uh, hurricanes, you know where they originate? On beaches where there's nakedness untold. You know where a lot of, we see a lot of tragedy over there in, um, in the Philippines with uh, these uh, tsunamis and all this kind of stuff. You know, you know where these things happen? Say, oh, these third world countries. You know why they're third world? Do you realize the wickedness? The child trafficking? All the stuff that originates in a lot of these places? The political systems that are so corrupted and perverted? Guess what's coming, friends? Why? The land vomits out the inhabitants. God made it. It's his world. You say, boy, that's, I don't like that. It's, he told them, he said, I'm going to send you in to take over this land. Why? I've had enough. Their cup is full. The cup of Canaan is full. And if you don't go in and take them out, the land itself will vomit them out. Look at verse 27. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. <coughs> that the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. He said, hey, if you do like them, the same thing is going to happen to you. Look at 2 Kings 17. Say, well, God, he just, listen, I'm here to tell you, friend, when Israel turned their back on God and they started doing the same things that the Canaanites were doing, well, you're going to read right now God's attitude towards it. 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 20. 
You read all about the groves, all about this, the warnings in verse 13 to 17. Verse 18, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. You know what God did? You know what God did? Look here. I'm not looking at them anymore. My favor is not towards them anymore. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made, and the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. You say, God shouldn't have done that to those Canaanites. God did the same thing to his people. Right. Yep. When they walked in the ways of the land of Canaan. You know, just because God saved you, he's not obligated to bring blessing into your life. That's right. You have to walk after his ways. You have to abide in him, John chapter 15. He's not just obligated to bring you a blessing. Amen. You say, I don't understand why things aren't going well right now. Maybe you might want to consider this. Amen. The only thing that kept God from completely wiping out the children of Israel was his promise. Let me tell you something, friend. Canada doesn't have that promise. No other land, no other nation has the promise God gave. You know why Israel is a country on the map today? Because God made a promise. We don't have that promise. And we don't see much of Western civilization mentioned in biblical prophecy. Why? The land's going to just... Amen? Amen? Now look at Matthew chapter 21. We'll bring this to a close this morning. God is not unjust. God is not this, you know... Listen, God told his children, he said, you go into that land and you wipe them out. Anything that breathes. Anything that breathes. Why? I don't want you doing what they're doing. Don't act all pious. You know what you want to do with child pedophiles? Now make yourself a just and holy God and wonder what he wants to do when he said, suffer the little children that they may come unto me. You're not so much different. You say, how could God tell them to do this? Because abominations are actually abominations to God. We get desensitized. Amen. Now we as Christians, how does this fit us? Matthew 21 verse 43 says, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. That's Israel. And given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. When the Lord temporarily stripped the kingdom away from Israel, he placed it on a new nation. On a new priesthood. Say, nation, a country, a nation of priests and kings. The church. Amen. He put it on them. And the physical warfare ended. And the spiritual warfare. War began. See, the Catholic Church never got a hold of that principle. 
That's why the Crusades. Yeah. And the Muslims don't have a hold of that principle today. That's why the bombings. But we believers, we children of God, we realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not called to blow people up. Thank God. We're not called to strap bombs on our chest. Thank God. We are called to a spiritual warfare. With spiritual weapons. The Bible says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You know, just think about, as we get into Joshua, go to Jericho. The wall's coming down. How can you see, can you see a spiritual lesson that these weapons of our warfare that God has given us are mighty through God to the pulling down of Jericho's? Amen. To the conquering of the walls and the castles and the fortified things in your life, the things that God has given us, they are mighty through God and able to pull down those things. Amen. Praise God. So although we, the physical parts of Joshua can't be applied for us, there are certainly spiritual lessons that we can draw in our spiritual warfare against the flesh, the world, and the devil. Amen. The Bible commands us in 1 Timothy 1.18 to war a good warfare. In 2 Timothy 2.3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And the same captain who appeared to Joshua on the plains of Jericho in Joshua 5 and verse 13 and 15 is our captain as well. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. We have the same captain, folks. We're fighting a war, folks. Listen, the Lord did not save you to give you fire insurance. Listen very carefully. God did not save you so you wouldn't have to go to hell. It's a result of getting saved that we don't go to hell. Praise the Lord. But that's not why he saved us. He didn't just save us, James, so that one day we wouldn't die and go to hell. He saved us for a purpose. He saved us for a purpose. The Lord brought us out to bring us in. Amen. Amen? Not just into heaven one day, but into a land of promise, a land of blessing, a land where in your Christian life the milk and honey flows. Not just when you're at church. I'm glad we have a church by God's grace where the milk and honey flows. But I'm talking about every day. Every day. The Lord has a wonderful life planned for you. But it's not without battles. There are giants to slay. There are enemies to root out. But there is victory for the taking. There is a promise of God to victory. A promise that His grace is sufficient. A promise that His weapons are able to pull down strongholds. A promise that you can do it through Christ and that all things will work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. Yes, there's battles. Yes, there's a fight. But there's victory. 
And there's a new commander. Joshua chapter 1. In the opening of verse number 1, the Bible says, Now after the death of Moses. There's a new commander in town, folks. It's not the law anymore. It's Joshua. Joshua. You know, just uh, let me go back here in my note and, and indulge me just for a second if you would. Look at Hebrews. Hold your finger in Joshua 1. Look at Hebrews 4. Joshua is a great picture of Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, the name is interchanged twice in your King James Bible. Now, if you have some perversion, you're not going to get this because it's not in the perversions. Look at this. Look at Hebrews. Let me get there. I'm so excited to forget to turn. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Now, now, <coughs> we see the picture here. We got it. Can you give me a few more minutes? You don't have to be to Bridgewater till 4. So just a couple more minutes. Look at verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. You know what God is doing in, in Joshua? He's bringing his people to a place of rest. Yeah. You're going to see that. Read Joshua chapter 1. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's battles, but there's rest. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Now, here we're getting to it. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Who is that? Who entered not in because of unbelief? Who it was first preached to? To do what first? Jews. Jews. Right? It was preached to the Jews first. <coughs> Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, verse 7, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, here it is. Look at this. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. You know who it's talking about there? It's talking about Joshua. It's talking about the Jews who did not enter fully into their rest in the promised land. And Joshua and Jesus are interchanged here. Yeah. Let me give you another example of it that goes right along. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. There's two instances of this. And by the way, if you have anything other than the King James Bible, it says Joshua there, not Jesus. But he's showing you this on purpose. Because there's a prophetical implication to this. The rest that comes. Acts chapter 7, verse 45. For the sake of time. We know that the... the um, what, do you see the context? Notice in verse 39. 
their hearts turn back to Egypt. In verse 40, so Aaron, make us other gods. Verse 41, and the calves. You see all that? Now look at 45. The, the tabernacle in verse 40, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. What was the possession of the Gentiles? The land of Canaan, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. You know who that's talking about? Jesus. What I'm trying to say to you here, or it's talking about Joshua. What I'm trying to say to you here is you've gone from the first five books, the law of Moses. Moses is now dead, and there's a new commander-in-chief, and it's Joshua. And in the Christian life, it's Jesus. You say, what does all that make it? Listen, Joshua was able to bring them into the land, but not into a permanent rest. You see that in Judges. They're still not permanently at rest. All through David's life, through the Old Testament. But, you say, why is this used interchangeably here? Because at the second advent of Christ, Jesus will drive out the United Nations forces that are led by the Antichrist, and he will establish a lasting peace and rest in Israel. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 says, He shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore under Jesus. What I'm trying to show you is that the Old Testament example of that exact, that peace, that rest that God wants for your soul. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. God wants to give you peace and rest. And the example of this for us in the Old Testament is Joshua. The law was used to bring us to Christ. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But now that's dead, and we are under a new leader, Joshua, Jesus, and he will bring us into that land. Amen. And the question I have for you this morning is, will you go with me? Yeah. Will you go with me? Will you allow God, who has brought you out, to bring you in?